0: SECTION 19 OF THE TRIAL OF SUSAN B. ANTHONY BY ANONYMOUS This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. SPEECH OF MATILDA Jocelyn GAGE IN CANANDAGUA AND 16 OTHER TOWNS OF ONTARIO COUNTY PREVIOUS TO MISS ANTHONY'S TRIAL, JUNE seventeenth, 1873 THE UNITED STATES ON TRIAL, NOT SUSAN B. ANTHONY Governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. That is the axiom of our republic. From this axiom we understand that powers used by the government, without the consent of the governed, are not just powers, but that on the contrary they are unjust powers, usurped powers, illegal powers. In what way does the consent of the governed come? By and through the ballot alone the ballot answers questions it says yes or no it declares what principles shall rule it says what laws shall be made it tells what taxes are to be raised it places men in office or lays their heads low in the dust it is the will of a man embodied in that little piece of paper it is the consent of the governed are women governed most certainly they pay taxes they are held amenable to laws, they are tried for crimes, they are fined, imprisoned, hung. The government wields strong power over them. Have they consented to this power of the government? Have they a recognized right to the ballot? Has their consent been asked through their votes? Have they had a voice in saying what taxes shall be levied on their property, what penalties they shall pay for crimes? No they are ruled without their consent. The first principles of government are founded on the natural rights of individuals. In order to secure the exercise of these natural individual rights, our government professed to be founded. Governments never created a single right. Rights did not come newborn into the world with our revolutionary fathers. They were men of middle age when they severed their connection with Great Britain but that severance did not endow them with a single new right. It was at that time they first entered into the exercise of their natural individual rights. Neither our Declaration nor our Constitution created a single right. They merely recognized certain rights as in existence. They recognized those rights as human rights, as inalienable rights, as rights existing by virtue of common humanity natural rights never change but the power to perceive these natural rights does change and various nations have had their own standard three names said to be the sweetest the world ever knew are mother home and heaven there is one still sweeter one for which men have given up mother and home and for which they have almost sacrificed the hope of heaven that word is liberty when the fires of liberty began to creep through europe in the middle ages at a time when hereditary monarchs and the catholic church ruled the world men placed its safeguards in municipal corporations the idea of municipal corporations descended from rome to the rest of europe and free cities became the germ of personal freedom but a new world was needed for the great experiment of individual freedom Macaulay calls government an experimental science, and therefore a progressive science. History shows this to be true. Liberty did not spring full armed like Minerva from the head of Jove. The liberty possessed by the world has been gradually secured, and it was left for our country first to incorporate in its foundation a recognition of individual rights. A hundred years before the Revolutionary War, Massachusetts and Virginia resisted English tyranny. Massachusetts in 1664 called herself a perfect republic. She preserved a neutral harbour by force of arms against opposing English factions, she enacted laws against the supremacy of the English parliament, and she established her own mint. This last is noticeable, as in the progress of liberty, rights of property, of which money is the exponent, have always been one of the foremost. Bancroft says Virginia was always a land of liberty, that Virginia placed the defense of liberty not in municipal corporations but in persons, and that the liberty of the individual was ever highly prized. The difference between a monarchy and a republic is the difference between force and consent. It is the difference between being governed and governing yourself. It is the difference between the men of russia and the men of the united states it is the difference between the political rights of one man as the government and the political rights of the people as the government but the world has never yet seen a true republic though it has for hundreds of years been taking steps towards one the original principles of just governments are five all of which were acknowledged by the united states at its foundation These principles are: First, the natural right of each individual to self-government; second, the exact equality of these rights; third, that these rights, when not delegated by the individual, are retained by the individual; fourth, that no person can exercise these rights of others without delegated authority; fifth, that the non-use of these rights does not destroy them. These five underlying principles are the admitted basis of all governmental rights, and the old revolutionists acted upon them. They were men of middle life, they were under an old and established form of government, to which they had not delegated authority, and during all these years they had made no use of their natural equal rights. When they chose to assume the exercise of these rights, they at once took them up the women of that day were no less in earnest than were the men mercy otis warren sister of that james otis whose fiery words did so much towards rousing the colonies was herself no less in earnest had no less influence than her brother she was a member of the famous committee of correspondence and was constantly consulted by adams jefferson franklin hancock washington and all the foremost men of that day through her lips was first whispered the word separation no less active were the women of new england and in seventeen seventy five years before the breaking out of the revolutionary war the women of boston held a public meeting and formed themselves into a league to resist taxation as tea was the article upon which great britain was then making her stand in order to sustain the principle of taxation these women declared they would use no more tea until the tax upon it was repealed this league was first formed by the married women but the next day the young women met in innumerable numbers and took similar action they expressly stated they did not do this so much for themselves as for the benefit of their posterity in the country the women of that hour went abroad over the fields and sowed their tea as men sow wheat this action of the women of the revolution was taken three years before the famous tea-party of boston harbor and was the real origin of that tea-party the women of the present day the posterity of these women of the revolution are now following the example then set and are protesting against taxation without representation a few weeks ago i attended a meeting of the tax-paying women of rochester Who met in the mayor's office in that city and there like their revolutionary mothers formed a league against taxation without representation meetings for the discussion of measures are regularly held by them and they have issued an address which i will read you to the women of the city of rochester and the county of monroe after twenty-five years of discussion appeal and work the women of rochester assembled are prompted to advise and urge tax-paying women of the city and county that the time has come to act as our patriot mothers acted in seventeen seventy in protest against unjust government and the action appropriate and suited to the time is strong and earnest protest against the violation of the republican principles which compels the payment of taxes by women when they are denied the ballot by order of the women taxpayers association of the city of rochester and county of monroe they have also issued this memorial and protest addressed to the board of supervisors of the county of monroe and to the honorable the common council of the city of rochester the payment of taxes is exacted in direct violation of the principles that governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed and that there shall be no taxation without representation therefore we earnestly protest against the payment of taxes either municipal county or state until the ballot secures us in the right of representation just and equal with other citizens by order of the women taxpayers association of the city of rochester and the county of monroe thus women are everywhere going back to fundamental principles and this action of the women of rochester is but the commencement of a protest which will soon become a resistance and which will extend from the st lawrence to the gulf of mexico from the atlantic to the pacific the women of the city of rochester pay taxes on seven millions of property and yet not one of these taxpayers is consulted as to how or when that tax shall be raised or for what purpose used this seven millions is but a small proportion of property on which the women of that city really pay taxes as it does not include that much larger amount of property of which they have been robbed and over which they are assumed to have no control the foundation of a new city hall has recently been laid in that city women's property without their consent has been used for this purpose water is soon to be brought in from hemlock lake and a dozen other projects are on foot, all of which require money, and towards all of which the money of tax-paying women will be taken, without their consent. To illustrate the extreme injustice with which women are treated in this matter of taxation, to show you how contrary it is to all natural right, let us suppose that all the taxable property in the city of Rochester belonged to women with the exception of a single small house and lot which were owned by a man as the law is now interpreted the man who owned that house and lot could vote a tax upon the property of all those women at his own will to build city halls courthouses, jails could call an election and vote an extraordinary tax to bring in water from a dozen different lakes erect fountains at every corner fence in twenty parks vote himself in mayor alderman assessor collector with a fat salary from these women's money attached to each one of these offices and in the end elect himself the sole policeman of the city to protect the women from himself and this you call just government it is no more unjust no more unrepUBLICAN, to take the property of fifty or a hundred or a thousand women in this way than it would be to take the property of a single one the principle is still the same. The women of to-day protest, as did their foremothers, for principle. Women come into the world endowed with the same natural rights as men, and this by virtue of their common humanity. And when prevented or restrained from their exercise, they are enslaved. Old Ben Franklin once said, Those that have no vote or voice in the laws, or the election of those who administer them, do not enjoy liberty, but are absolutely enslaved to those who have votes and their representatives. That sentiment is as true to-day as when uttered. While the women of this nation are restrained from the exercise of their natural rights of self-government, they are held enslaved to those who do administer the laws. Said an old minister of revolutionary fame, one who is bound to obey the will of another is as really a slave though he may have a good master as if he had a bad one those of you who remember adolph in uncle tom's cabin will recall his apparent freedom dressed in style wearing his master's garments before the first gloss was off viewing uncle tom superciliously through his eyeglass he was a petted companion of his master and did not feel his bonds but one day the scene changed st Clair died and poor adolph stripped of all his favors was dragged off to the vile slave pen do you see no parallel between adolph and the women of america adolph was restrained by unjust power from exercise of his natural rights so are the women of this country as is most fully shown by this prosecution and trial of susan b anthony in this country two kinds of representation exist property and personal let us look for a moment at the constitution of the united states in three years we celebrate our centennial from what does it date not from the constitution as our country existed eleven years without a constitution in fact thirteen years before it was ratified by the thirteen colonies the centennial dates from the declaration of independence which was based on underlying principles but as our government has recognized its own needs it has thrown new safeguards around liberty within a year after the declaration it was found necessary to enter into articles of confederation and these were soon followed by the constitution as it was found property rights were not secure under the action of thirteen different deliberatives england has never possessed personal representation but only that of property and in the secret proceedings upon the framing of our constitution the question as to property or personal representation was strongly agitated some of the delegates favored the fuller representation of property than of persons others who advocated the equality of suffrage took the matter up on the original principles of government recognizing the fact that it was not strength or wisdom or property that conferred rights but that in a state of nature before any government is formed all persons are equally free and independent no one having any right or authority to exercise power over another and this without any regard to difference in personal strength understanding or wealth it was also argued and upon this acknowledgment the constitution was based that when individuals enter into government they have each a right to an equal voice in its first formation and afterwards have each a right to an equal voice in every matter which relates to their government that if it could be done conveniently they have a right to exercise it in person when it cannot be done in person but for convenience representatives are appointed to act for them every person has a right to an equal vote in choosing that representative who is entrusted to do for the whole, that which the whole, if they could assemble, might do in person, and in the transaction of which they would have an equal voice. This was the basis upon which the Constitution was established, and these the principles which led to its adoption, principles which include the full recognition of each person as possessed of the inalienable right of self-government, the argument for equality was continued in the following strain, as reported by one of the delegates to the legislature of Maryland, that if we were to admit, because a man was more wise, more strong, more wealthy, he should be entitled to more votes than another, it would be inconsistent with the freedom of that other, and would reduce him to slavery. The following illustration was used. Suppose, for instance, ten individuals in a state of nature about to enter into government nine of whom were equally wise equally strong equally wealthy the tenth is ten times as wise ten times as strong or ten times as rich if for this reason he is to have ten votes for each vote of the others the nine might as well have no vote at all and though the whole nine might assent to the measure yet the vote of the tenth would countervail and set aside all their votes if this tenth approved of what they wished to adopt it would be well but if he disapproved he could prevent it and in the same manner he could carry into execution any measure he wished contrary to the opinion of all the others he having ten votes and the others altogether but nine it is evident that on these principles the nine would have no will or discretion of their own but must be totally dependent on the will and discretion of the tenth to him they would be as absolutely slaves as any negro is to his master if he did not attempt to carry into execution any measures injurious to the other nine it could only be said that they had a good master they would not be any the less slaves because they would be totally dependent upon the will of another and not on their own will they might not feel their chains but they would notwithstanding wear them and whenever their master pleased he might draw them so tight as to gall them to the bone again it was urged that though every individual should have a voice in the government yet even then superior wealth strength or understanding would give great and undue advantage to those who possessed them but the point especially pressed in these debates was that each individual before entering into government was equally free and independent and therefore the conclusion was drawn that each person had equal right both at the time of framing a government and also after a government or constitution was framed to those who with old english ideas constantly pressed property representation it was replied that taxation and representation ought to go together, in so far that a person not represented ought not to be taxed. This constitutional convention was in session a number of months. Its delegates were partially elected by women's votes, as at that date women were exercising their right of self-government through voting. Certainly in the states of Massachusetts and New Jersey, if not in Georgia and Delaware. These women sent their delegates or representatives to assist in framing a constitution. Let us look at the preamble of that instrument. It reads thus. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity do ordain and establish this constitution for the united states of america here we have a statement as to who established the constitution it was not the thirteen states as states not the government in its sovereign capacity but the people not the white people alone not the native-born alone not the male people alone, but the people in a collective sense. Justice was not established by this Constitution if one-half the people were left out from its provisions. Neither was the common welfare considered, unless all people in common equally shared the benefits of the Constitution. And, moreover, the posterity of the people of that time are female as well as male. Therefore, not only by our knowledge of the course of argument taken by the framers of the Constitution, not only by our knowledge that women as well as men helped elect delegates to that convention, not only from the original principles proclaimed in the Declaration, but also by and through this preamble to the Constitution, do we find woman, equally with man, recognized as part of the governing power." although women do not rest their claim to self-government upon any human instrument it is well to show that even in the declaration and the original constitution the constitution as it was the rights of all people were most emphatically and truly recognized judge story in his commentaries upon the constitution says the importance of examining the preamble for the purpose of expounding the language of a statute has always been felt and universally conceded in all judicial proceedings. Commentary on Constitution, Volume 1, page 443-444. Chief Justice Jay regarded the preamble of the Constitution of the United States as an authoritative guide to a correct interpretation of that instrument. Volume 2, Dallas, page 414. Cook says, the preamble of a statute is a good means to find out the meaning of the statute, and, as it were, a key to the understanding thereof. Blackstone lays it down as a fundamental principle, that we must argue from generals down to particulars. Here is good legal authority. I have cited men whose opinions are accepted. We have thus argued down from the generals, of the Declaration and Constitution, to the particulars, which appertain to each individual alike. And what is the result? Freedom for all, equal rights. We have read the preamble of the Constitution, and quoted authorities to show in what light it must be read in reference to its following provisions. By its preamble, the Constitution is shown to make no distinction in favor of sex. From secret debates of the Convention, which framed it, we find the motives and the arguments of its framers the great foundation and keystone alike of our republican ideas of our constitution is individual personal representation and it is the greatest blessing to the country at large that the question of representation has come up in the person of miss anthony men are compelled to think upon underlying principles they are compelled to ask themselves where they get either natural or constitutional right to govern women. End of section nineteen.